everyone. Just uh, obviously getting everybody up on stage, working through a few technical difficulties on my end. Uh, but we should be ready to go momentarily. And obviously, uh, you know, we have breaking news today with the with the Wall Street Journal article and the uh, SEC coming in hot, as the SEC tends to do, saying that, uh, well, let me get the exact headline before I uh, say anything wrong. SEC says spot Bitcoin ETF filings are inadequate. We will get to that in a bit as we get all of our panelists up. Uh and obviously the market we will discuss because Bitcoin has been bouncing all over the place. All coins had been moving kind of nicely and now uh, spazzing and to the downside as expected. But maybe this headline is more of a nothing burger and yet again, just some uh, clickbait and a very temporary impediment. But we're going to dig into all of that momentarily. Uh, but first, what we actually intended to, to talk about and something I'm very excited about is what's happening in North Carolina and in general at the state level uh, for for Bitcoin, we had the announcement there, uh, and I will we'll share um, Dan's tweet up above. Another bipartisan victory in NC with passage of HB 721, Bitcoin Digital Assets Custody Study Bill. Uh, Dan, I'm going to go to you uh, first of all. I guess give yourself the very quick introduction, and then we can dive in. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, Dan Spooler here. I'm co-chair of the North Carolina Blockchain Task Force. I also serve as Head of Industry Affairs for the Blockchain Association uh, out of Washington, D.C., uh, my day job. Um, thanks again for having us. Yeah, we've had a lot of progress in North Carolina um, over the years, um, and particularly this summer. Um, I, I think a lot of this happened a lot faster than many of us expected, but it's been an ongoing prog process. Um, just quick background. Yeah, I've been in Bitcoin personally since since 2012. Uh, me, a couple friends, my brother, we, we really started doing the meetups way back, and then we put on a series of conferences in Raleigh and in Charlotte, Cryptolina, Bitcoin Expo. And uh, that was 2014 when we launched that. And we brought on really a lot of big names at the time. You know, Ed Moy, the former director of the USMH came. We had Adam Draper come. We brought in just a lot of folks that weren't normally coming to the meetups. Early on, we really wanted to expand the scope of the space and to really raise awareness beyond just the usual, uh, the usual suspects. And um, fast forward... 2019 rolls around, and um, after some success with updating our state's many transmitters laws, uh, we, we got to work with the state's lieutenant governor, then Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest. He set up a task force called the North Carolina Blockchain Initiative. We're a little bit different than some of the other state associations. We're not a trade group ourselves. We're a government-appointed task force, and it was put together by an executive order rather than a legislative committee, and it's nonpartisan. And this, the goal was to really serve as a primary resource on this emerging digital asset ecosystem. And uh, we launched right before the beginning of the pandemic. So the first year, we were doing a lot of Zoom calls and a lot of webinars and a lot of just, we, we intended to do a roadshow, but it, we were put on the sidelines. But we made the most of it. And we put together a pretty comprehensive report on how the state could evaluate and leverage this technology, not just, in, not just digital assets and Bitcoin, but... Uh, uh, lots of different use cases. Uh, presented it to the state legislature. Um, you know, it didn't really go too far, but we had uh, one of the recommendations we had was um, the development of a regulatory sandbox. And then more recently, um, we proposed this. Uh, what we it was a combination of a state's precious metals and slash Bitcoin depository study bill. 
it started off, and I think Representative uh, Mark Brody is joining us today. I think he's having some technical difficulties, but he'll, he's the one who really has been spearheading this for us. And um, it, it, it's, it's, it's kept us busy. I have, again, this happened relatively quickly. Um, it was a rare collaborative effort between um, the, the precious metal gold crowd. It's called the Sound Money Defense Fund. It's a group uh, that advocates for gold. And, um, you know, we approached them and we said, well, hey, well, maybe we can collaborate on this bill and, and let's, let's add in a little provision that would include uh, the mention of a virtual currency, which is how Bitcoin is defined in state law in North Carolina. Uh, that dates back to the money transmitted update. So we got Bitcoin, we added that term um, into the bill. And um, it, I went down and I, I testified a few weeks ago to make sure that it was uh, you know, passed out of the you know, rules committee. And hit the floor, and it passed uh, about two days ago. And uh, since then, we've gotten a lot of inbound inquiries. Is this uh, is the state going to officially put Bitcoin on the ballot sheets? I mean, I certainly hope so. I think that's right what now, the headlines looked like, right, Dan? It, yeah, the headlines looked like. So I, even mine, you know, the initial headlines, it looked like a bill had been passed that was allowing the state to do that. But this is obviously a bill that's passing to allow the state to do the study. Correct. And that's exactly, and I mean, I, I'm not here to curb anybody's enthusiasm because I think this is an amazing step, and I think this is the first, to my knowledge, in the country where a bill actually passed um, advocating for this. I mean, things have been proposed over the years, but this actually passed uh, one chamber. Now it's off to the state senate, but it is just that it's a study bill. Um, that's, and I'll read it right here: it's Act to study the holding of bullion and virtual currency slash Bitcoin and their potential benefits, and whether to establish a state bullion depository for such assets. Now, a depository for Physical depository for Bitcoin, you know, it, that, that's not necessary. Uh, we would, we would just, the state would just use, you know, custody provider. But the study is what's important because it's finally an official study, and that there's money been appropriated towards this that's going to allow our state to learn and explore and, and research the benefits of this. And it comes down in, in Representative Brody's case to sound money. I mean, he's a big proponent of. And he, over the years, he's been a big gold advocate, but he's now very interested in Bitcoin. So philosophically, they're aligned now. And I think the education's important here that we can finally get this. Um, and I think this is the, just the next natural phase that we've seen over the years on, um, on, on the, the trend cycle. You know, we've seen uh, certs, first it starts with early adopters, experimental phase, then it goes to institutional, like we've seen microstrategy and other balance sheets in the private sector. And then the long run, we're going to see governmental adoption. Like, but it's already happening in El Salvador, but I think this is a good step in the United States. Do you think that we're going to see most of the movement here at the state level? I mean, obviously, you're with the Blockchain Association right in D.C., so you happen to have a you know passion for Carolina because you started there, but this is probably something you're working on in multiple states. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're, I think this is going to be a domino effect. I mean, obviously, other states are doing fantastic work, you know, Florida, Texas, uh, you know, a variety of states. Um, but I think the study is a great start, and I think we will see more action in the states. We're already seeing states, and I think we. But we, to our credit, the federal level, we have seen a lot of development there, um, particularly with the leadership of North Carolina's Patrick McHenry, financial services, um, and and a few other champions. Now. Yeah, we were working on getting so, him here today, but hopefully uh, next week. But he was uh, uh, tentatively we're, going we're gonna to join. Him. I'm working on that. We're going to try and get him. I know he's super excited. There's big, we're big fans of his um, at the state and federal level. But uh, yeah, I think the action certainly is happening at the state level. 
Um, and it's just much more nimble. And I think also, you know, you can factor in game theory. I think there's a lot of states that are going to be competitive, inherently competitive with one another. So each state is going to want to try and be, uh, you know, just that. So we're, we're North Carolina's front and center. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're very pro, pro, pro Bitcoin state for this technology. And I think, uh, we're going to see more companies come. And I think we're going to see more legislation. See, the other thing I didn't mention, which we can get into later is the, uh, is the anti-CBDC bill that we did. That was actually passed unanimously. And we could probably do an entire Twitter spaces on that topic. But um, we got that passed as well. Yeah, I saw that. What I find most interesting here is that you, I was expecting you to say how challenging it was to do it bipartisan when you were talking about the bill. And you were actually talking about how challenging it was to get the Bitcoiners and uh, hard metal guys together. It's funny enough. Yeah, that was... Um, it's funny because, it, believe it or not, a lot of the younger guys um, that are into gold and Bitcoin, it's pretty pretty easy. Because philosophically, again, I think they agree on the sound money argument. The Peter Schiff's of the world, that's that's a little bit tougher to sell. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense. But Peter Schiff is now doing ordinals on the Bitcoin blockchain. <laughs> so so maybe, not that, maybe not that challenging. I know we were trying to get uh, Representative Brody up. I'm not sure if he was still having issues to discuss. I see Eric here, here as well. Did you have anything to add before we move on to the... Uh, Bitcoin ETF topics. Yeah, I would I would just say that you know that key point that one one once one state adopts some legislation like this, we see the dominoes fall. We've seen it happen with a number of pieces of legislation that whether originated in our state or others. So it's a great first step, and uh, you know, it figures that the SEC would come in and poo poo a little bit of good Bitcoin news, but that's the way it goes these days. Kind of, kind of their thing. Yeah, that's their thing. If we're being honest, guys, so awesome. Well, feel free to stick around. I think we're gonna we're gonna move on, but we we'll all be watching North Carolina and any uh, updates that you guys have moving forward. Uh, please share, and then if you can get a representative Brody up, we we would love to have. Yeah, him. I know he's having some trouble doing that. Yeah, hey, we'll thank you guys. Questions too. Um, throughout, throughout the day. It's perfectly fine. Perfect. Awesome. So, guys, uh, just to reset a bit, you'll see that one of the co-hosts on stage right now is Crypto Town Hall. That's Crypto underscore Town Hall, as I've mentioned and been mentioning, please follow that account because that is eventually where we're going to be moving to to host these Twitter spaces uh, so that we have a dedicated channel and a dedicated uh, a dedicated Twitter account to do that from. It was actually used to be the Wolf of All Streets podcast account. I donated it to the Crypto Town Hall uh, because I really obviously believe in what we're doing here. Uh, and, and so I, just please, please, please follow that account uh, because... You, we do not want you to miss these moving forward. Obviously, guys, the big news right now, SEC hints, no spot Bitcoin ETF. But the question is, is that really what's happening here? As you dig in, this may just be another clickbait article from the Wall Street Journal. Their headline was SEC says spot Bitcoin ETF filings are inadequate. But potentially this could just be one clause where they can just refile and basically name the exchange. But I, listen, I, I know uh, I saw Dave, maybe he left. Uh not a, okay, well, I got Matt Hogan here anyway, so we've got our, all our ETF people. Matt, I mean, what do you make of this news? It rocked the market here, at least temporarily. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty impressive news. Great to be back on. What a service this uh, this space is. Um, you know, I read the, the Wall Street Journal article as well. Uh, I should say up front that Bitwise has a filing in with the SEC, and I can't comment specifically on that filing or any other filing, but I can comment on the space in general. I think the answer to whether this is big news or a nothing burger is something in between. And I actually take it as relatively positive, uh, positive news. I do think for the large part, reading through what's written in the Wall Street Journal, 
it feels like almost a technical rejection, right? The, the, the filings on record that described the surveillance sharing agreement didn't disclose the name of the exchange and didn't disclose the details of that, how those surveillance sharing agreements would work. And, you know, what the Wall Street Journal article says is that, uh, quote, the SEC told the exchanges it returned the filings for those reasons and that they need to provide enough information about the details of those surveillance sharing agreements. Uh, they can update the language and refile. So I, I suspect that that is what you will see. I suspect you'll see um, all of these folks go back to the drawing board, uh, refile, and will be on their way. Um, I take this as more, honestly, more positive than negative. It shows constructive engagement. Um, and uh, it's not just sort of letting these filings run for 240 days and rejecting them at the end of that period, which has been uh, the historical precedent to date. So I, I don't think this is the end of spot Bitcoin ETFs. I think it's a delay, but maybe even a positive delay, um, or at least modestly positive is, is my read uh, from what the Wall Street Journal wrote. Yeah, we're already seeing though, you obviously mentioned 240 days. We've seen news that uh, Kathy Wood and ARC, their decision expected, at least their first de uh, decision expected August 13th. That was actually much sooner than I expected. Yeah, you, you have to think of it the way my 16-year-old thinks of homework assignments, which is that there are a series of deadlines that can be pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Um, the way it works technically, I believe they have 90 days to issue the initial response, or they can ask for more time. And uh, there are these statutory links that they can ask for more time. They can ask for 45 more days and then another period of days. Eventually, you get to the end of the end of the point where they have to make a decision. That point is 240 days from the initial filing of the 19B4. So whenever the 19B4 was filed, they have to make a decision within 240 days. All of the other deadlines in between can be pushed with a simple piece of paperwork. And historically, what we've seen is that all of the Bitcoin ETF applications have been pushed to that full 240-day period. Now, I actually think, you know, if they go about approving a spot Bitcoin ETF. There's no guarantee that they will wait all 240 days to do so. Um, they may do it before then. But yeah, you shouldn't look at that interim deadline that's getting trumpeted as anything other than sort of a clickbait uh, uh, deadline. That can be pushed literally with a single piece of paper from the SEC. And that's what they've done for the past 10 years in evaluating spot Bitcoin ETF applications. Got it, Dave. Go ahead. Yeah. Dave, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I mean, look, the fact of the matter is history is a guide, right? Except for there's phases in relationships. And having gone through multiple periods and multiple filings over the years of different broker-dealers at the SEC, effectively, this is, I believe, extremely positive news. Um, and in fact, you know, it, I was reading it as you were having your guest on your video on your YouTube channel this morning. I think it marks a break in phase. We went from the no, you know, basically NFW, let's be politically correct, uh, you know, phase to, you know, we're going to deny it. We have no interest. Forget it. To, okay, here we are. Now we're in the negotiation phase. And yes, they're going to negotiate and they're going to be sitting there. There's going to be meetings with the staff and they're going to say, okay, how does this surveillance sharing work? We want to be able to look and get things, you know, detailed things like it, let's be, let's be clear of what they're going to going to ask for a PII. 
uh, they're going to want to know, okay, you're going to, they're going to want uh, Coinbase to agree to filing SARS, suspicious activity reports. And then they're, they're going to have to, if the, if the, the regulator says, okay, this does look suspicious, who is doing this trade? That's this exact process that they have with every other asset class that they surveil. And that's what they're going to want. Uh, and in point of fact, there was never going to be an approval without that, without the ability to track down, okay, we think this looks manipulative. What's going on here? And once they get that, then understand what that means politically. It means politically, they can then take a huge victory lap. And it, this is clearly not what their intent was all along. But at this point, they could say, listen, you know, we held out, we forced them, and now we finally have a much safer surveil market. That's, I think, what they want. And, you know, frankly, unless he is an idiot, and I think he's quite smart, I don't think he's dumb, uh, he'll take the win when he can get people to give them that. And I'm quite confident that they will because everyone has a huge vested interest in doing exactly what I just suggested. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Anybody else have an opinion here? Hey, Scott. Uh, listen, yeah, thanks. Um, I agree with David. What we have... Some of us, like you, Scott, myself, have been saying that they're pushing the crypto markets down, including Bitcoin, until the, the tra traditional players get in place, get a bigger slice. And what, what you see is the softening now, right? Is it a coincidence that after BlackRock and all these others file an ETF, uh, we don't get a rejection, we get a, a, a negotiation, we get a softening phase? And that's exactly what's happening. And so I think Dave's 100% uh, on the mark. I think it's good news for Coinbase because I think they'll be listed. So not financial advice, but I bought some of that today. That's really all I have. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting here, obviously, is that maybe this is just a very small technicality and the SEC is asking for a bit more clarity. It, I, it shouldn't be a surprise if they're saying we're going to have a surveillance sharing agreement and we're going to be working with an exchange that the SEC would say, okay, show us the agreement and name the exchange, right? I mean, Matt, is that accurate? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I do think, you know, as the other speaker said, this is a this is a positive, right? It's negotiation phase. They're going to want to see those details, and that's a reasonable position for them to take. Um, I think it would be unreasonable to take any other position, to be honest. So, I do think this is uh, 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 yeah a positive development, and the market will come to realize that pretty shortly. Okay, so is anyone here who thinks that this is a massive negative, that there's something nefarious going on here? Or is this just uh, semantics? Simon, what do you think? Sorry, you called me um, eating at the same time. I, 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 want to, I, I have a camera on you, and I wanted to make it as awkward as possible. Yeah, yeah, you're getting revenge. I did that to you once. Um, yeah, uh, well, yeah, we haven't had things like this in any of the previous applications. So to me, if all the other applications have led to the same result, and this one we get a different thing, then I interpret that as bullish. But when I saw the headline, um, I've actually got an outstanding uh, bet with um, Rob from Digital Asset News. Um, and I said the ETF will be approved because it's BlackRock. And he said it wouldn't. And uh, the loser... Uh, has to w has to wear an I love Mashinsky t-shirt, so I was just getting uh, ready for that one. I do not want to see anybody in that t-shirt, literally ever. I mean, Bruce, listen, you you always you went on a, a bit of a rampage about the SEC yesterday. So, what are you thinking here? 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, as much as I'd love to say it's some big conspiracy or something, I, I think it's it's fairly routine. It does, it is sort of, uh, I don't think it's a negative towards BlackRock. I think it's, if, if anything, it shows, I wouldn't say favoritism, but it shows kind of uh, some respect for the process and per- perhaps some of the, you know, public outcry about this, you know, because the SEC doesn't have to answer. <laughs> you know, we when we when we became registered as a broker dealer, there was a, a FINRA thing that we needed to prove a lot. And, and, and they had six months, they had 180 days to approve it. So on like the 170, we knew they were going to take a long time, like 175th day. We're like, oh, yeah, they should they should be getting back to us any minute now. And then, you know, 177, 78, 79. I'm like, really? Are they going to really wait till the last day? Wait till the last day. Wait, wake up in that morning. Still nothing. They waited till three. The markets close at four. They waited till 345 on the last day. And then I, I've talked to many people where that's a common thing. They'll just wait till the last minute. They want to delay these things and draw it out. And that's common. So it's actually kind of a, uh, you know, maybe a tiny favor to BlackRock to say like, oh, hey, you, you, you didn't uh, do this piece here. From what I understand, it was fairly minor. It was like the, they didn't name the spot exchange or something. So, um, you know, overall, I think, you know, I think the assessment of the, you know, John and, and others is 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 probably, uh, you know, really correct that they're going to, um, you know, they need a victory. Never. I, I was, I've been registered uh, under nine SEC chairs and I've never, ever, ever seen anything close to this. You know, maybe maybe certain niche industries or something, but I've never seen it where like everybody seems to hate the chair and, uh, you know, you know, uh, lack of respect for the whole agency. It's just a, it's a it, you know, they, they've got to be feeling this pressure. So, you know, hopefully they'll, you know, come around. We'll be in a new era of, of it, you know, get some of these things approved. Uh, you know, they have some concessions they want and we, you know, move move forward because because the bigger picture is that. Securities are important, and it, it's really, really, really harmful to America to have this kind of behavior. You know, we need to have free markets in America. It's what our country is all about. We have to allow entrepreneurs and capital formation. And they've just been like the frog in the boiling water with all of these procedures. You know, AML KYC didn't even exist when I started my career. Like, like none in its current form it was very, very rudimentary. You know, it's just, so so this idea that you know they have this birthright to know every single thing about everybody and where you are, and it, you know, it, it it it's not moral. It's not uh, you know, correct and, you know, shouldn't even be part of the, of the United States. Uh, you know, it's, I don't feel like it's in line with our, our constitution or anything else. Uh, and it also doesn't work. It grinds things to a halt. You know, we, we'd have such a wonderful and vibrant, if, if they wouldn't have had such a pain in the neck to, to make everything work, we'd probably have a hundred thousand new securities, you know, trading. We could have tokenized the world and have liquidity for people and all kinds of other great things. BlackRock's going to tokenize the world for us though, Bruce, don't worry. Don't and I'm right there to help. They're coming. So listen, we got three Davids on stage, three Daves and Davids. But Anadi, we we were talking this morning on YouTube for 35 minutes about ETFs the minute you signed off. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, nothing like news when you're talking about news. I, I, I with all respect to to our other friend Dave, I, I actually don't believe this is a real phase change from denial to negotiation. I, I think this is the continuation of denial. Uh, them simply leaning back to SIBO and NASDAQ and saying, nah isn't a negotiation. It's a continuation of them saying, hey, we need a surveillance agreement with a regulated exchange, which is what they've been of significant size, which is what they've been saying, believe for five years. So I don't really see this as moving the needle on that. And if anything, I, I, I think that they'll probably just continue to kick this can down the road for at least another year. 
I'm not somebody who believes that somehow we're in some final negotiation phase. And I also think it's ridiculous to think that the SEC actually responds to pressure. I just don't actually think that that's true. Um, and, you know, I think if they had responded to pressure, they would have done it a while ago. I think this is basically an administration call to keep crypto out of the hands of the regulated markets for this administration. So I'm I'm not a big believer that this is super bullish on approval. I, I agree it should be. I'm not I'm not happy about this situation. I agree with the previous speaker's comments about what would be better for this country, but uh, I, I'm I'm not sanguine about this. I actually think that this will continue to get delayed uh, well past the existing deadlines Hogan was talking about, uh, and probably well into the end of next year. Hey, can I just uh, go ahead? What? I want a quick question because I got to take off soon. Um, hey guys, um, so last year when the Grayscale ETF got rejected, one of the STC's arguments for the rejection was that it didn't um, the filing didn't demonstrate enough. To protect investors against fraud and manipulation, specifically their filing said, it, the SEC filing said, uh, rules of national securities exchanges must be designed to prevent fraudulent and manipulative acts and practices and to protect investors in the public interest. And uh, ETPs um, of a certain size uh, must meet these uh, regulations. Um, although surveillance sharing, I'm just reading the uh, filing right now, although surveillance sharing agreements are not the exclusive means by which a listing exchange of a commodity, trust ETP can meet its obligations, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, basically, it's saying that uh, people can use the uh, great grayscale ETP to uh, to manipulate the markets. Uh, what has Bitcoin, what has BlackRock done um, differently this time um, in light of this? Has it learned from this and done anything differently? Nothing. Nothing. There's, there's really nothing. Not true. not true. That's absolutely not true. I mean, we don't know all the conversations that have gone on at the staff level, but it's very clear from the grayscale judge and what's going on. They're going to lose that argument, David. They are going to lose that argument because there's literally no way. You can't find one human being who has an ounce of credibility to say that that the futures-backed ETFs are sub less subject to manipulation than spot. There's literally not one human being that has any credibility because mathematically it's an absurd argument. And the judge is basically not, but that's not the argument. That is that is not that is categorically wrong. That is not the argument in the grayscale case. If you go look at the brief, the SEC concedes that their goal as regulators is not to prevent manipulation. They say that numerous times. Their goal is to detect, and they actually state in the brief that regardless of whether manipulation occurs in the spot market, futures market, that's beside the point. The goal of the SEC is to assure that if someone were entering the spot market, they'd have to go on to markets of sufficient size. And we want surveillance sharing agreements with those markets of sufficient size to be able to detect. And and during the oral argument, if you go back and listen to it, the, the counsel arguing for the SEC basically conceded, our job is not to protect or to prevent manipulation as the SEC. We want to be able to detect it so then we can go on forward exactly. and bring enforcement action. So That's exactly so what, what I said before. So, so but but the no, no, it's not because you said to prevent manipulation. You said there's no well, way. No, no. Well, what I said in my first comment, which is very important here, is what they want is to be able to have suspicious activity reports be the responsibility of the exchange to get filed to then be go to go to a regulator to look after and then when uh, the regulator says mm, this is something we need to look into for the exchange to be willing to part with the the PII with the account information of who is doing those trades so I correct so so with the futures so with the future well they've already asked for it with the futures through a dozen orders so with the futures markets okay 
you have those robust CME-based surveillance sharing agreements, which are set forth in detail. And the SEC says, that's enough. We want, because, because it's upwards of 90% of the futures volume trades through the CME, 90%, right? Contrast that with Coinbase, which is the main, you know, uh, aspect of the iShares filing. Coinbase has uh, fewer than 20% of the global spot volume, and their sharing, uh, surveillance sharing agreement with NASDAQ, which will be found to be woefully deficient, it doesn't capture 80% of the volume. You would not need... They, they, have, they have 70 plus percent of the volume of US dollar based. It doesn't trade. matter. That's, that's, not the, the, that's not the global market. It's not the global market. How global market either, I'm here. The futures market is not the global market either. Correct. In fact, which Tebow's market share is way lower than Coinbase's market share as part of the global market. 100%, but, but they're not approving spot. They're approving futures. It's a different product. No, no. Tebow's market for futures, or when you include perpetual swaps and futures, Tebow's market share of the global market in Delta One derivatives is way less than Coinbase's of the Bitcoin spot market. Period. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, so, so I, I, I take the total opposite approach on what you think is going to happen in the grayscale chaos case, and I think I'm going to be proven right in this because if you actually look at the standard for what it means to have an arbitrary and capricious ruling, it basically means that you have to uh, not necessarily be wrong in your analysis. You have to have made it with some sort of bias or some sort of lack of clear understanding. And the case law actually tells you the regulators are allowed to be wrong. That doesn't mean they're arbitrary and capricious. Arbitrary and capricious means it's something that has no bas rational basis, zero rational basis for the approval. It's, the, it's one of the lowest standards in the law. So there's just a ton of deference. And even if even if the SEC were to lose in the grayscale case, okay, it doesn't necessarily mean you green light approval of the spot ETF. What it would do is it would require them to go back and issue an order that is not arbitrary and capricious. That's the big mistake that people keep making that you know, the, the finding that an order is arbitrary capricious means that it necessarily uh, gets approval in the other direction. That's not that's not the type of uh, agency deference that we have. In yeah, Joe, Joe, yeah, and even and Dave, when we were discussing Nautic this morning on YouTube and something we've discussed in the past quite a bit, actually, it could have a even worse consequence, which could be a basically removing the futures ETH. Hundred percent. That's exactly right. You're, yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. my belief. I think that's uh, actually. What's gonna the, the issue is politics. It really is. I mean, it's always been and it always will be politics. The issue is this particular story gives them a chance. It's a chance. Gives them a chance to actually deflect some of the criticism that is being levied upon them by a cadre of voters that are absolutely critical to this administration to stay in power, which is the young people. And and it is... It, <laughs> You know, it never forget we're dealing with political organizations. And you say the SEC doesn't respond to pressure. That's hogwash. The SEC, like every other every other agency in the federal government, responds to whatever the administration thinks is important. And this administration, uh, like the previous one, but this one may even be more, uh, responds to polls and and politics. And so it really is a political question. And my point, which is pretty straightforward, is they can undeniably claim to have done the right thing and deflect opponents' criticisms if they get the kind of commit the sharing agreement that they want. Now, you're absolutely right. There's no question legally. They can stonewall this till this administration is gone. There's no doubt. The issue is here something else that's worth pointing out. When the SEC wants to stonewall it, they don't go to the Wall Street Journal and leak things months before they need to say a word. In this particular case, they leaked things for a reason. Why? It's because this is a PR war. This particular SEC is engaging 
specifically in, in PR in a way that no previous uh, SEC that I've ever seen in 40 years has ever done. And why would yeah. be the reason to leak this information if not to start currying that political narrative that they want to draft? You mean past SEC chairman didn't make cute cartoon videos about Kim Kardashian? Among other, I'm no. That, I mean, this is the, this is the extraordinary aspect of this. You're exactly right, Dave. On, on that point, I I completely agree. The fact that this story would be, is even out there just shows you. I think they view this particular space with animus. That's my view. I, I don't think there's any question about that, Joe. I mean, they've basically said, and you know, we've spoken with people. When an SEC commissioner like Gensler comes in, they basically say, listen, these are the things that are important to me. These are the things that are important to this administration. This is where we need staff. And by looking at how they've staffed up, where they've spent their money, the people they've hired, it's very clear that this is Gensler's fight. Of all things, like the anti-crypto army coming down from Elizabeth Warren and such, I mean, this is what Gensler really believes is one of the most important mandates that he has in this space. It's undeniable. But what the guy, can, I, can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. Now, Joe, uh, you were one of the few people I know out there uh, when the BlackRock ETF was announced. A lot of people said, oh, you know, it's the sure thing. And I know that you uh, you spoke up and uh, said otherwise. Do you not see this as any softening or do you still believe it's going to be a strict denial? Yeah, I, I, I think that the only thing that gives me pause is this ruling, because I, I do think a lot of the impetus behind the recent filings is the hope, it's a hedge, right, for potentially a favorable ruling from the Grayscale case. And I, I, I that's what I think is the trigger for all this. It's not some secret uh, inside intel that BlackRock has on what it takes to get it approved or a softening, or et cetera. I view it all as all basically responsive to the Grayscale case, and it's a very minimal hedge to get these from statements on file, even if they're kicked or but, rejected. But Joe, Joe, I, I don't disagree with that at all. But still, this is BlackRock coming out publicly filing a Bitcoin ETF. They, they have to care deeply or at least have an opinion here that this could happen. Because even if great, they believe Grayscale is going to win, BlackRock wasn't even in the ring. Still, big news. Yeah, no, I mean, decided to enter the ring. Deciding to enter the ring, I think, was inevitable. I don't. I don't necessarily think that they were going to always stay on the sidelines with how fast moving and growing the industry is. I, I just think that's kind of silly to make that expectation. They were eventually, you know. I think many in the space uh, have been calling for big money to enter, and it increasingly trickles in. It's not kind of the avalanche that people were talking about even back in 2018 and in 2017. It, it's more of a slow trickle, and I think that that's you know, in a lot of ways, that's uh, due to the regulatory environment and people being cautious, but. You know, to the point is like, you know, I think the question was originally, was is this a softening? Okay. I don't think there's any evidence that suggests that. Um, maybe it's a softening with, when it comes to BlackRock and their approach and their willingness to sort of put their name out there. Uh, maybe they're willing to, you know, really uh, be more exposed and uh, as being uh, open to this. But, you know, in terms of the SEC, I don't see any evidence. Of that. I mean, if anything, I think that the recent filings against Coinbase and Binance shows that the SEC is willing to get even more aggressive. And by the way, I will just tell you, I'll go on record saying I expect numerous additional suits to be filed in the next 90 days against major players. Uh, so, you know, the, this is the beginning, not the end of the SEC's campaign. Okay, Joe, let's talk about, I, I don't disagree, but I, I think that there's a lot of people who believe that the SEC has bit off, I won't say necessarily more that they can chew, but as much as they can chew with their current staff with going against Ripple, Binance, and Coinbase. So you say you expect a lot of enforcement action against major players I doesn't think, necessarily have to be sec 
Okay, that, that I know that you're talking about DOJ and Binance, of course. But if we're if we're talking specifically about the SEC, I would make the argument we're going to see a whole lot of enforcement actions, but it's going to be mid to lower tier size companies that are going to be forced to basically just you know uh, pay the fine and move on because then the SEC gets a ton of wins without actually having to fight any of these people. So you don't expect an SEC suit against the Prime Trust. Oh, well, but the prime trust is down to being almost a company of insignificant size. And listen, I, I literally, we've been on top of prime trust since day one. I, I was holding the information about them uh, losing private keys for weeks because we didn't want to share that until that was somewhat public knowledge. So I think that uh, prime trust is a massive, massive black eye on this industry that hopefully just doesn't get talked about as much as I, I just Yes, when you have a trusted, regulated custodian that not only loses uh, private keys, but then commits fraud to cover it up. Yes, that's a huge problem. And I think we will see action there, but I think Prime Trust has nothing left to even fight it. I mean, they're, yeah, I'll, they're I'll, done. I'll just I'll just state this, okay, because uh, I got to jump in a second for Cole. But but ultimately, okay, there are portions of both the Coinbase and the Binance uh, complaint, and also the CFTC complaint against Binance, which people forget about. Um, you can copy those allegations verbatim and state them against every major crypto exchange that operates in the United States. So the notion that some folks that are big, bigger players, okay, are just going to not face those types of claims brought against them about being unregistered uh, broker dealers and unregistered clearinghouses and not proper registered exchanges. I think that's fiction. I think it will come for everyone. And I think it's just a question of strategically, and, and manpower is always concerned, right? But strategically, what is the rollout? And the SEC sent a message by going after the, to a big player, a major player in Coinbase. And I think that does not necessarily mean other players underneath them will face the exact same allegations in the near future. And I assume the implication, I, I, I put words in your mouth, but when you said not necessarily the SEC, I think you were talking about potential DOJ action, correct? Or even CFTC. Yes. <laughs> and, and state regulators. So, you know, there's, there's a whole apparatus, regulatory apparatus. They can go at you many different ways. It moves slow and it grinds, as people like John and others know. But, uh, you know, they, they make tactical decisions based on limited manpower. And it was not a mistake that they went off after the big gorilla first. And I think there are other smaller gorillas that will face similar claims almost verbatim. Right. I think they're going to end up set. That my point was, I think they, I think you're right in that they're going to all end up settling, which will be just win after win after win for the SEC, probably at least from perception. Pers uh, what are, what is a, one thing real quick? What what does the settlement look like when one of the claims that you're seeking is to bar them from engaging in exchange-related activities? Yeah, they, they pay a fine and then they go out of business or they just offer Bitcoin trading services and go out of business anyways. I, I know what you're saying. Listen, Joe, I, I don't disagree with the more enforcement actions coming. I was predicting that they were suing Coinbase 10 months ago. So I agree with you. However, I don't think there's anyone bigger, more significant than Coinbase, unless you're talking about Circle or Tether. And I don't know if you're you're, you're hinting at any of that. DCG is large as well, not as large, but DCG is the other large player, I would say, in the United States. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Mario. We got to jump. Take care, everybody. All right, Joe. Have a good one. Go ahead, Dave Weisberger. So, I mean, uh, Scott, I just uh, I just uh, DM'd you a link that you should post, which is Coinbase's answer to the SEC complaint. It is it is an incredibly easy read. I need it in the form oh, of a, Dave, to be able to post it, we need it in the form of a tweet. I saw you sent the document, but I'll look for some. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that after. But the point that I want to make is because of what John said, Coinbase said, 
basically we they're basically saying before we can even think about settling they're asking the judge to dismiss and they're asking it on very interesting grounds and grounds that frankly i would love to hear john's point you know john's point of view because to my non-legal brain that just kind of is legal adjacent having you know reading pleadings and stuff it feels like between west virginia versus epa and today's case throwing out the student loans etc that this Supreme Court is extremely clear in overbroad executive actions. And Coinbase is going right to the heart of the accusation, saying that the SEC does not even have jurisdiction to bring this suit. And that is extremely important because effectively this is a this is not we think we can settle. This is we are going directly at it. And it's a very big deal, I think. And it's also another reason why the SEC is probably more likely to want to get a win in this case because it's going to be very difficult. But it's a really interesting read. I, I will tweet it now. Yeah, let's go to our lawyers, John and David, who hopefully are not billing us for the time that they speak. Go ahead, David. I'll give, I'll give def- deference to John. John, you want to go first? No, go, go ahead, David. I've been speaking. Go, go brother. Okay. Um, I, I'm just going to jump on what Dave just said because I think when we were pressure. I think we have to remember sometimes we all talk to each other in a vacuum on crypto Twitter. Um, The pressure of the outside world is not the pressure that the SEC feels, especially in these crypto cases. They are not feeling pressure to do anything. This is still actions that are wildly enthusiastically supported by the old guard of the political party. Um. So it's very important to remember that Gensler is, this isn't like a, I guess we're playing baseball right now. This isn't a manager on the hot seat who's losing. Gensler has the support of all of the people he needs in government to continue the path he's going on. I think that's really important that just because we are all bashing on what's going on here, the people he reports to are not bashing him for the same thing. In fact, they are enthusiastically supporting the path that he's on. That's number one. Number two, uh, the Coinbase, you know, first of all, everyone keeps calling it a motion to dismiss. Coinbase filed an answer. That means this case is going forward. They filed what is amount to a press release. It is beyond brilliant. It is beyond well-written. It was put together probably before this case was even filed. They filed it, I think, about six weeks early. The all-star team representing Coinbase knows exactly what they're doing. The case was never going to be dismissed. So what they do, they used, they wrote a motion and said, we'd like a judgment on the pleadings as a matter of law. Um, I think uh, Meta, uh, Meta Lawman and I, uh, John, were going over this yesterday on Twitter. I offered him my firstborn child if Coinbase wins on that argument. They're not going to win on that argument either. Why would you want your firstborn child, though? It's my easier of my two children. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not in the market for more children. Is what I'm saying. Go ahead. <laughs> so, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is, you know, public po- po- posturing on Coinbase is fantastic. What they're doing, they're building an army, just like John has built an army of people who are supporting him, and that is incredibly helpful moving forward. Um, but what the SEC does not care about what crypto Twitter thinks, believes, or cares about. Um, as long as the administration fully supports what's going on, and I think John is right. I mean, I, I get quoted all the time. 
there's the DOJ investigation going on into Binance. They're going to announce that shortly. You know, and the more that that unfolds, we have to separate the Binance lawsuit and the Coinbase lawsuit. What everyone here wants is for Coinbase to win on the law and saying they've done nothing wrong. And if they have done something wrong, it's because it's amb ambiguity in the law and the Congress needs to fix that. But for the moment that they've done nothing wrong, Binance is a whole different story and it's a it has nothing to do with what we're all talking about because we all want to be talking about the legitimate side of crypto. We don't want to get snared up in the prime trust conversation where someone screwed up and then did criminal actions as a trust and stealing client funds. That is not the defense here. The defense here is what Coinbase and Gemini have been doing for years, which is saying, we are doing this legitimately. We are doing this and we are giving you our plans and everything we have done is right. And that's the support that we should all be giving. And I think ultimately that's going to be the winning argument here. Even if Coinbase pays a fine, SEC takes a fine. They'll say whether it's a million, a hundred million, a billion dollars, it doesn't matter to me. They'll post that they want. But ultimately, we need Coinbase to win on the law. And we have to make sure that we all support positive actors in the space who are doing it right. John, go ahead. Yeah, uh, well, I agree with, with all of that. Um, and, and here's the thing to note. The Supreme Court, when the EPA West Virginia case came out with the major questions doctrine, I made a tweet that said, I don't guarantee a lot of things, but I guarantee if this gets to the Supreme Court, the SEC loses. And that, I would encourage everyone to read the Coinbase uh, pleadings because I described it as a work of art. I didn't think you could get much better than the Ripple legal team and then the Coinbase team came out and went with this. But the bottom line is we may see an interlocutory appeal. What you have for everybody to understand is you have Congress has already in the Senate and in the House has initiated legislation demonstrating its intent to legislate this area. Couple that with Gensler's confirmation testimony where he says there is no regulatory framework for digital assets in the United States, basically conceding by admission that it falls with in this this regulatory gap, which is the third thing the Hinman email showed that the SEC has acknowledged that there is this regulatory gap in between the CFTC, SEC, where do these digital assets fall into? Then you couple that with, there's not a single case in U.S. history where a investment contract in the secondary market was also determined to, an investment contract. The only case to address it said that it wasn't. And that was in a full circuit of the Ninth Circuit. And then there's never a case where there's been no privity between a buyer and a promoter. Take an XRP holder or a Cardano holder or an ETH holder who has no knowledge of Vitalik, no knowledge of Ripple, or anything, and they buy this commodity, this digital commodity. They have no privity between this issuer and promoter. And then you couple all that with the EPA and then the decision yesterday, and this Supreme Court is screaming, screaming that they will kick the SEC out and say this is for Congress. Congress didn't need the authority to do this. You've admitted before, before you went on this political agenda, you admitted that there wasn't a framework for these digital assets and you can't just change your mind like that. And so, you know, my real issue is how this judge addresses this motion. I'm not saying the judge is going to agree with Coinbase, despite it being a legal work of art. But the question then is, do we see an interlocutory appeal directly up after that? 
John, so that, I mean, invoking this major questions doctrine, right? And we've been hearing a lot about that. You, you kind of just mentioned it. I mean, is that something that they're going to be mentioning immediately as a effort to get this thrown out? Or is this something that we'll be hearing about for the next three or four years as sort of this court case grinds on? No, that's what I'm talking about, a potential interlocutory appeal. Uh, unlike in the Ripple case, you know, which preceded the, the EPA West Virginia Supreme Court case, you know, the FEC has invoked the major doctrine. They allude to the Hinman emails where it says regulatory gap. They they cite Gensler's testimony where he admitted that there was no regulatory framework. And so what everyone needs to understand is the Supreme Court has said, unless Congress has specifically designated you and delegated the authority to a federal agency, when there is an issue that's a major question that affects, you know, economics, and, uh, and financial markets, great significance, put it just like that, then uh, that agency, unless they've been specifically authorized, can't do what they're doing, basically. And so with the EPA, they couldn't just unilaterally start requiring these, you know, emissions requirements, the same thing the SEC is trying to do with the ESG disclosures. And they shot that down with the EPA. And uh, this, this court is very conservative. If it, if it reviews Howie, the lower courts watered down the solely uh, language of the Howie case where it said that you have to rely solely on the efforts of the promoter. Uh, lower courts have watered that down. It's never went back before the Supreme Court. And so this conservative Supreme Court is uh, the writings on the wall. And so Yeah, but it has to get there, right? I mean, so this that we're talking about years down the road that we'd even be seeing them challenging Howie or any of uh, well, that that's that's true. But the question is, the Second Circuit is going to be faster, and does the Second Circuit, you know, and see the writing on the wall and and apply that EPA decision? So I'm not I'm not saying it's great news. This is going to happen tomorrow. What I'm just saying is that what the Coinbase has done as a is an additional legal wrinkle. where the whole case could be stayed for a while as we go up on an expedited um, format, what's called an interlocutory appeal. Yeah, I mean, listen, I might be in this echo chamber or bubble, but it doesn't seem like the SEC is doing particularly well in court in any of these cases, right? Endless pushback in the Voyager bankruptcy, Grayscale, now people saying 70% chance that Grayscale wins, whatever that means for an ETF is up to, you know, is up for, uh, is up for interpretation. Ripple, I mean, it it doesn't seem like the SEC is getting very many favorable opinions from the courts. No, they're not. In every single court, they have actually gotten smacked down, starting with the judge in the Ripple case saying they, had, they lacked faithful allegiance to the law and that basically said they were being complete hypocrites. And then you've seen every single other court basically take them to task. Even in the, the library case, the, I mean, the judge, you know, views his role as very limited, but I encourage everyone to read the transcript that's on my site of the hearings and he's basically, you know, arguing with the SEC. Why don't you do something about the secondary issues? You admit that there's all these holders out there that are users of a technology that are not investors that are actually using it as utility tokens, like clarify it. And the SEC says, we don't do that. I mean, that's like a direct quote. We don't do that. Yeah. Go ahead, Simon. Yeah. I was just going to give an update on the core because uh, it directly relates to this exact conversation on the Celsius case. Um, so within the Celsius case, there was massive manipulation on the short side and the long side of the sell token. 
Um, and the those that were victims of the sell token, um, the price of the sell token uh, during the time uh, that it actually filed for bankruptcy, excuse me, sorry, <laughs> but was actually going to determine the recovery that they were going to get. Um, now, the judge actually called the SEC to make a determination whether sell token is a security in this case. The reason being is because uh, the in the reorganization plan that was submitted to, or is due to be submitted to the court, uh, they wanted to give a lower price for those that held sell token uh, due to the market manipulation. Um, and so the judge is actually calling upon uh, the SEC. Now, the SEC hasn't said anything in the case right now. Um, I speculate there's, there's reasons for that because I believe that there's an impending indictment for Alex Mijinsky and they're waiting for the moment, um, the correct moment in order to do that. Um, but now the judge is calling in the SEC, so they've got to make a determination. Now in Voyager, it was interesting because they did determine that it was a security. Uh, but the difference in this case is that the UCC, um, who are representing creditors, they're saying that the token should actually be subordinated if it is a security. So they're using the Howey test in order to make that determination. Um, so we're going to get another one uh, in the Celsius case, but it might move to settlement before that determination is actually made. Um, but just wanted to update people. Now, another interesting turn of events is that those that were representing the sell token were saying, well, if sell token is a security and should be subordinated, uh, then we're making the claim that the actual earned program and every claim of every earned creditor uh, should also be subordinated because obviously the equity holders get wiped out uh, in, in this case. Um, but I just thought it would be worth bringing up because we're, we're going to get another one of those, is it a security, isn't it a security, and the SEC is going to have to come and step in and then there's going to have to be put in front of the judge. Yeah, thanks for that. So they said update, Dan. Since we have you here and you're in Washington, you're sitting here thinking about all of these things. I don't know how political you get, obviously, but uh, you you know, for anyone who missed the beginning, we were talking about what's happening in North Carolina. I mean, Dan, what do you think of the general sort of uh, attacks here by the SEC, and where do you stand on everything we've heard here? Well, if you get a chance, um, oh, our Marissa, who's our policy counsel, and Jake uh, Travinsky, who's our uh, chief policy officer, put out a statement yesterday. We have a pretty strong opinion on Gary Gensler. Um, uh, yeah, I need to pin that. I'm going to go find it. Jake, yeah. Incredible. His thread. I, I well, it yesterday, but I'm going to go find that and pin it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just, it just hit fortune actually yesterday, too. I mean, listen, he's got to recuse himself, in our opinion, from a lot of these cases. I mean, to, um, yeah, I, I was never a fan. I was actually always skeptical of him, despite even, you know, the, the work he did at, at uh, up at MIT, um, and I know a lot of people didn't like Jay Clayton either. But I think Jay and Clayton didn't really have any interest in learning more about the industry. You know, he, but he wasn't. Gensler is particularly dangerous, though. I think because he actually has he 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 knows the stuff and he knows the industry pretty well, and uh, I think he's uh, treated it pretty unfairly. But I, I'm not on the policy side of the shop. Uh, but I I will say though that we have strong opinions on them, and um, we think. Uh, there needs to be some serious changes made. Yeah, you guys can see that tweet. I, I pinned it above from Jay Trubinsky. You know, I'm a huge fan. Sorry, Dan. I, 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 I thought you lifted your mic to, to, to speak again. I mean, D David, you just heard everything that John said. 
uh, that being David Silver. I mean, your opinion clearly is that the SEC is doing these things for a reason. They're generally winning. It doesn't feel that way. It's not. It's all play devil's advocate for a moment. You know, if if what if if John is right, which by the way, I think ultimately John's going to be right. But ultimately, the Second Circuit, you know, for Coinbase to do this, to do the interlocutory route, do all these legal maneuvers for them to win, they can only win in a conservative court. They first have to go through a liberal Second Circuit court. I, it's just going to take time. What Coinbase is doing is a targeted press maneuver. They know that the, and I think everyone's talking about this, they know who's following this and who they are. They are preaching to the choir. They are not preaching to the older uh, institutional D.C. legacy lobbyists. Yeah, they're playing to us, and it works well. Exactly. And and it's brilliant, because what they're doing is brilliant. I mean, like, I'm not arguing what they have written. What they have written is, it's poetry. But you govern in prose, not in poetry. And the prose here is that the legacy institutions are spending a ton of money and Dance Group and Jake Travinsky, they're spending money to battle what the legacy institutions are fighting for right now. Okay, it needs to be very, very clear that if you had said that three weeks ago, I would have been inclined to agree with you. But we have two of the top asset managers in the world who are on the opposite side. Now We have uh, internal, I've talked to Democrat lobbyists, not just Republican lobbyists, but Democrat lobbyists who are fed up and there are they are telling us that there is a a significant undercurrent of this guy t- talking about the FCC as we don't want this to be an issue to let that Republicans could bludgeon us with, you know. Obviously, the Democrats are focused mostly on trying to get Trump nom- nominated because he's easiest to run against. But there are still Congress people who are going to be in difficult elections, and the absolute reality is they don't want a political issue. And so, yes. There are definitely some, certainly in the banks, who would love to make Bitcoin go away, but I think that they're coming to the conclusion that they can't. And it's really important to understand that BlackRock and Fidelity uh, joining the fight uh, politically. Remember, this administration regulate or rules by poll opinion polls. If the various people involved on this call and everyone else ends up getting influenced and you start seeing real clear politics polls talking about this as an issue, and Scott, you've talked about that, it will matter. I suspect that that people in the administration understand that they really need to defang it. And this may very well end up going that way. That's really the issue because you're 100% right. No question about it. The SEC can 100% stonewall this until the... Until but can't, the did, can't the SEC, both David, can't the SEC actually defang this by approving a Bitcoin spot ETF, throwing the red meat into the water and calling it a day? Well, that's my theory. And I, I may very well be wrong, but that's been my working theory. I I, I mean, I think I think that everyone is under the impression you can't stop you can't stop this. You know, the ball's rolling down the hill, it can't be stopped. It's how is the SEC going to pivot to take the win? I think we've heard a lot of different ways today of people saying how things are going to pivot for the SEC to take the win. Um, I think the way and probably Bruce Bruce uh, is going to jump up and down and say, that's the problem with what David Silver is about to say. The way that the SEC is going to pivot here is people are going to lose their privacy rights, and there's going to be a lot more government regulation in crypto. 
And personally, I'm okay with that. But now you can have all the OG that I've been around since 20, since 2013 that I consider myself not OG, maybe like second or third generation. But you're going to have all the OG who say, oh my God, we won, but we lost what we believe in. And what's the win there? So of course, I agree that that's where we're moving towards. We're moving towards what I would consider a healthy KYC AML. But a lot of people on this call are going to be like, oh my God, that's horrible. We do we do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Well, that's yeah. definitely where we're heading. Yeah, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance whether uh, we should be cheering BlackRock or Wall Street in general if you believe in the original ethos there. But uh, that, and I agree with you. But that that still, you know, we have to be pragmatic and live in the world where we do. And right now, the world we're living in is this fight for the SEC and whether they're going to approve these or not. Scott, I agree. Well, I was going to say, and uh, I agree with what both they, uh, with what both have said. There's no doubt that Coinbase is engaged in a public opinion, and I do believe BlackRock and Fidelity and the 27 trillion of, of assets trying to get in cumulatively it is a change. Uh, but you got to understand the dilemma we have is that Elizabeth Warren has chosen an anti-crypto platform for re-election. Joe Biden, the president, is talking about gaps uh stopping crypto traders from taking advantage of tax loopholes or whatever he said and and so um, i think unfortunately for the democratic party they went with the anti-crypto 2024 platform the question is do they pivot from that or and how do they pivot from that in an election year and and i you pivot by approving the ETF and firing no, 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 no. They pivot by approving the ETF and claim the win that they have by, by their steadfast. Uh, I know. Uh, Dave, it, I was just it, that's what they're going to say. Yeah. The rhetoric, look, I, 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 look, we all know I've talked about it. I was a communications rhetoric major and a debater. Their, their easy win here is to say, listen, we have fought for years and we have successfully gotten the ability to understand and, and surveil for manipulation. Look how great we are. And it, it, you know that 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 is, I think, what, what the smart move would do. Now, whether they're smart or not, we'll we'll find out. As far as you know, Biden's thing on taxes. I mean, look, he points to everybody, you know, for it. I mean, watch trail. I don't think there's a person listening to this call who thinks that crypto trades shouldn't be subject to the same 30 day out of the position before being able to declare a hundred percent. I doubt there's anybody who thinks who disagrees with the actual policy. It would be great if that happened. Because at the end of the day, it's the rhetoric. Right. It's the way that they're positioning that. They're not saying, hey, guys, the, the wash sale rule doesn't apply to crypto. We should quickly close that loophole because people are, you know, avoiding a bit of capital gain. They're saying on the one side of this chart, we have wealthy crypto traders who are breaking tax laws. On the other side, we have Republican starving children. Right. And that's literally what the graphic was. And do we care more about starving children or rich, wealthy crypto investors? By the way, I don't know anyone who made money uh, in crypto last year and we have a tax problem anyways. But that it's the positioning that's the issue, not the actual issue. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's exactly what I think happens here. I, I, I look, if I were advising this administration, which I can't imagine why I would do that, but if I were, I would basically say, listen, here's how you position it. We have fought for years to force the crypto industry. We brought them to their knees where now they are willing to allow us to surveil and stop manipulation. And we are therefore protecting investors in these products. It is, it is it almost writes itself. I also 
I, I agree with that 100%. And then if we're going to slide further down to that theory, they can give the Bitcoin win and still crush everything they view as crypto or attempt to. Well, that's the other point here. That's really a very important point, Scott. It's it, the Bitcoin ETF thing has literally nothing to do with them going after the Bitcoin use case. And we haven't talked about Prometheum and all that nonsense. But, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that's a separate issue and you can still be anti-crypto and at least allow people to invest in Bitcoin. Now, it, that probably would give Elizabeth Warren dyspepsia even thinking about that because she's really worried about Bitcoin more than anything else. But the reality is, is a lot of people look at them separately. John, I see you throwing up a lot of hundreds over there. No, I, I really don't have anything to add except that. But, you know, here's the thing that I would say. I thought by now that um, Gensler would have taken a, a big win by negotiating some kind of settlement in the Ripple case. And that hasn't happened. And uh, from people I've talked to him inside, the, that have been inside the room with him, I mean, this guy is a megalomaniac like no, no other. And so I think he is a bit unpredictable. He will succumb. Uh, when you know when when the White House you know comes calling and asks him to step down or to back off or whatever that will happen, especially in election year. The real issue we need to get is we need to reach Democrats that are more reasonable, more moderate, uh, who who need to start speaking up when that happens, because this is all political. What everybody's been saying, David's been saying, is a hundred percent right. This is a political agenda. And that's what's being implemented here. And and these people who are going by the polls in election year, when this anti-crypto uh, platform becomes a political liability, then things will change. You know, it's astounding to me, John, though, when you zoom out and think about it. I mean, I've been here much later. I came in much later than most people here. I started in 2016, really got passionate about it in 2017. But if you had told me in 2017 with conviction that we would be a platform uh, for parties in the United States government that the president would be talking about this, that we'd be arguing about the SEC, it would have blow absolutely blown my mind and I would have told you that you were nuts. So, I mean, the fact that we're big enough at Bruce, I want to know your feet. Bruce and Simon, you guys have been here the longest probably, but Bruce, like, I mean, is it at least bullish or a positive development that we're on the grand stage and have become a part of the most important conversations in the world? Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, we, I remember when, um, it, it was the weekend, there was a really interesting weekend in, uh, 2013. It was the same weekend, uh, Overstock announced that they were going to accept Bitcoin. No, it actually was Tiger Direct was the first major retail announcing that they were going to accept Bitcoin. And it was the same weekend that Charlie Shrem got arrested and that Vitalik, um, announced Ethereum and it all happened right down in, in, in Miami. And, 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 it, and Bruce HSBC got done for, um, a truckload of uh, money for the illegal drug cartel. That's right. $400 million, I think it was, or something. Um, and so that was the biggest news then. I mean, to, to think about how far we've come since Tiger Direct, you know, I, I many, many times, especially early on, I used to say Bitcoin is a binary play. It's either going to work or not work. And I said that less and less as time went on because the, the odds of it just not working. You know, going down to zero and just like, oh, you know, because if you're if you're really, really early, I mean, there was a lot of that was all anybody talked about in 2011, 12, 13. You know, like, is this real or not? You know, is this just a silly, stupid hobby that's going to fade away and fizzle to nothing? Or is it real? And if, is it actually real? And people will view this as money. Well, what's cool about this narrative now is that we're we're, we're past that. You know, there's very even even Peter Schiff has, has softened. There's not major voices that are just, 
you know, there's people who don't like it. There's enemies, but there's not a lot of major voices who are like, oh, this is going to fizzle. Like it's, it's kind of here, you know, every newspaper in the world has a Bitcoin price feed usually on the cover, right? You know, interesting. It's more common than the stock exchange. You know, not every, not every newspaper in the world covers the S and P 500, you know, the American ones do, but, but Bitcoin, you know, I've been all over the world and I see the Bitcoin price right at the top, you know, usually top upper right corner or something like that. Um, you know, it's accepted all over the world. Everybody knows about it. It's a, it's a real asset that's here to stay. And I, I think that's what this narrative is. It's, it's, uh, you know, I used to joke back in 2013, I should find the tape, but I said, I said, if, you know, the government really realized who, how this is going to work, they'd kill everybody in this room right now, because it's the only time you could have stopped it. It's too big to stop now. You, there's nothing they can do in the U.S. And this is the interesting game theory that these tyrants at the top are, are, are going to have some cognitive dissonance dealing with. It's the first time that there's been a real global asset like this, that they can't stop it. There's nothing the United States can do to stop Bitcoin. They could declare it a felony and even I'd stop or leave the country. You know, I mean, no, nobody smart is going to openly commit a felony. I'm, I'm not that much of an activist, <laughs> but even that wouldn't kill Bitcoin. It might even cause a rally because of the game theory. You know, China would probably put the gas on even further if the U.S. did that. And then three years later, we'd be eating crow and coming back and say, OK, we're going to unban it. It would be like prohibition or something. That's a really interesting narrative that's to me, that's come out of this to have, you know, BlackRock, you know, which you, you can barely conceive. I remember how big the Fiddy news was when Ellie was first getting their tiptoes. They did it actually sort of a little secret. You know, they had, like, I went out uh, to one lunch and, and Talek and Garzik and Dr. Todd, you know, host these folks for lunch. And then they, you know, didn't talk about it much or they just kind of, you know, a couple of people would post here and there. Um, you know, they were almost doing it on the quiet because it was so unusual for a big company, a serious company, same with Overstock, you know, being very, uh, you know, proactive and, and early in this. Uh, but now it's a thing, you know, thanks to Sailor and and Nidig and, and, you know, the size and scope of Coinbase and, you know, the, you know, 50 million uh, users in America and all, all this stuff. It's, um, you know, it's a really big deal. And I think it's a, not, not 50 million in America, but, um, you know, the point is it's a big deal. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a different narrative than we've ever had before. I think it's exciting. So that's the positive of it. I'll take it. Go ahead, Simon. Yeah, yeah. I, um, thanks for bringing that up, Scott, because it, it, it is really, sometimes you really need to have perspective when you're going through these um, turbulent emotions. But, you know, to think that, uh, you know, I, in 2011, when I spoke at that first Bitcoin conference, there was about 50 people in a room. Um, it was a bunch of... Uh, coders, hackers, and activists. It was us versus the banks, and we were never going to succeed. It was just never going to be what it, you know, what it happened. But there was just a bunch of people under a delusion uh, that it could actually work. And after that one day conference, this is you know what it used to be like. Um, we we had to go around Prague, um, and there was um, you had to go around and pick up these secret codes around Prague. And eventually you arrive at what can only be described as a crack den in Prague. Um, and you have to go around all these different places and you did a special knock on the door. Um, you knock on the door and if you knocked in the right way after getting this SMS, um, we, we walked into, you know, a bunch of people coding, wearing their anonymous masks. And there was a Bitcoin ATM. Um, and I purchased my first Bitcoin there at $3. 
Um, and uh, I actually used one of them in a in a hacked up vending machine to buy one Mars bar that I bought for one Bitcoin. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I know you've spent a lot. Of, I know you've spent a lot of Bitcoin in the past that uh, would be very expensive now. Yeah, but to think that you know we we came from that, and I remember when it was like one article every two weeks about you know one little cafe cafe or something was accepting Bitcoin, and they suddenly get a rush of customers. Um, and and just everything we've been through throughout all these cycles to be here um, now, what is it, thirteen? Yeah, that was twelve twelve years ago. Uh, where BlackRock is is uh, applying for that ETS, and we're really, you know, every single person in the world. There's not a person in the world that hasn't heard of Bitcoin wherever you go, which is just incredible. Um, and just a big thank you to everyone that's contributed to getting us here because it it really is the ability to earn your own money, spend your own money, and have an exit from the traditional financial system. I cannot think of anything more important to fight for in terms of its impact on life, liberty, people, and freedom. Go ahead, Dan. I love that, Simon. Yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Totally agree with what Simon and Bruce were saying. Uh, one of the things that really stands out to me, and my co-chair, Eric Porper, down there, um, was the fact that now there's presidential candidates that are fully embracing this uh, public re- uh, and all the way down the ballot too, you know, governor, Senate, state, yeah, you know, the Congressional Blockchain Caucus has completely blown up since its inception way back in 2014 when it was essentially just uh, a few, Mick Mulvaney and a handful of others. But, you know, RFK Jr., he's all in. You know, it used to just be, I think Rand Paul, if I'm not mistaken, was the first presidential candidate, I think, to accept Bitcoin as a campaign contribution, uh, or it would have been his father. But now it's just become more mainstream, and I think that's a pretty big testament to how far we've yeah, I mean, it's a part of the conversation of the presidential race. I mean, it just literally doesn't get bigger than that. And we already know the opinion of every single presidential candidate on the asset class a year and a half in advance. Astounding. It's astounding. I, and I can't think of a better way for us to wrap up than actually some positive words. Obviously, guys, the title here, SEC Hints, No Spot, Bitcoin ETF. We kind of litigated this here live before. It seems like it was a pretty uh, clickbaity article by the Wall Street Journal that this might just be technical uh, the SEC asking for more information. We can debate what that means, but I don't think that this puts any sort of uh, kibosh on the idea that the uh, ETF could be approved. Anyone who thought it was likely to be approved still thinks so, and anyone who thinks it was unlikely to be approved, shockingly, still thinks so. Uh, if anybody is looking actually to uh, advertise here on the show or to be a sponsor, we have a pinned tweet above. Uh, you can contact that that email. We've had some awesome uh, sponsors who have, who have become a part of the show. And we really appreciate that. You guys have no idea how much work and resources go into producing this show on a daily basis. It's probably uh, cost me uh, the majority of my sleep, which was already uh, on short supply. But we have a huge team working here together. They all work their asses off on a daily basis to produce this. Mario's team, my team, Rand's team, all together, booking all of these guests, coming up with the topic, sharing the research. We have 10, 12 researchers literally live during the show in the back in a WhatsApp group sharing us with their research. So this isn't a, just to be clear, you know, I don't know why I was even talking about this, but we don't just show up and throw some things at the wall and hope it works. This is very well, you know, planned and we, and we really try our best to be accurate, to deliver the best possible information. So we really appreciate you guys tuning in. Once again, before we go, crypto underscore town hall. You'll see it as one of the co-hosts right now is Mario, myself, and Crypto Town Hall. You'll see Ran is up there as a speaker. He kindly gave up his co-host spot today so that we could tell you guys to follow that Twitter account. That will be where we will be launching these Twitter spaces from in the future. So please do that. 
everyone else, thank you so much. Uh, obviously going to a holiday weekend in here in the United States. I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend and we will see you guys back on Monday. Thanks.